sure you have your Bibles, so turn to Titus chapter 2, and this evening we will be in verses 1 through 10, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, hard-working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show them integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Lord, we pray that your spirit would right now fill us and help our minds to be sensitive and in tune to what you would have to say to us, that we would be as distraction-free as we can be in our thinking. And these particular issues that do affect each and every one of us here, we ask that where these particular truths apply to our lives, that you would help us to take what it says, look to you for the strength to do it, and then to live appropriately and live accordingly. Father, your word that you give to us is truth. Christ, your gospel is the means by which we have the ability to do these truths, and we ask for the Spirit to give us the strength to follow through in this as well. Lord, we ask all of these things in your name. Amen. So Paul begins here, 2 Timothy, right after 1 Timothy, pardon me, Titus chapter 1. In chapter 1, you remember he gives instruction on how to ordain elders in the church. Here's the kind of men you're to look for to lead the church, the quality and caliber that they're to be. We noted that most of the um, instructions that were given or qualifications really apply to anybody who's a Christian. But they're to be ones who are able to teach and able to give instruction. And so that one thing would set them apart, that they've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to do that. And then we looked at why that was so necessary, because there's all kinds of rascals and scoundrels out there who want to subvert the truth of God 
and draw people away from the word of God. In fact, look back in Titus chapter 1, there at the end. Verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And then Paul goes into this chapter. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So they profess to know God, these false teachers, these enemies of the faith. They deny him, though, by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for every good work. And so Paul, in contrasting (coughs) the true believers with these false believers, looks to their works. I've said this since the very, 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 very opening doors, the very first day of Sovereign Joy, however many years ago that was now, a long time now. Doctrine dictates lifestyle. Doctrine dictates lifestyle. What you really believe will come out in the way you live your life. Can't escape it. It's inevitable. In fact, it's it's easy for people to profess things and say things and speak things, and, and they try to say things that are true. But if you look at a person's life for a long time, for a consistent period of time, the way they live that life, the way they order their life, the way that they function day in and day out is going to be really telling that if they really believe the things they do, does it come out in the way they live? So following your lifestyle will flow from correct and good doctrine. The better your doctrine is, What's going to happen is it will have an effect in the way you live your life. It's inevitable. So you hear the contrast. Cretans, what are they like? What's their lifestyle like? Well, they're liars. They're evil beasts and they're lazy gluttons. Paul says this testimony is true. And remember, evil beasts, we saw that that meant they were unbridled and unself-controlled. If they have... um, A feeling, they act on it. Very impulsive kinds of people. So they're liars who act on impulse rather than thinking things through. And they are lazy gluttons. Not a good commentary. (laughs) It's for all of them. He's saying this whole island nation that you're going to minister to, this is the type of character of these people. And so what he's doing is he's saying, I sent you here or, or maybe left him there. We're, remember, we talked about that a little bit in order to raise up elders within the churches. They'd planted and established churches all around that island nation before they'd ordained elders. And then Paul apparently left and left Titus there so that Titus could go back through the churches that they had planted and see what qualities has arisen as a result of the gospel they preached. So 
What am I saying? They're expecting quality people to have risen up. They're expecting people who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ to have abandoned their old ways, embracing the gospel, and now living in a new way that is consistent with the gospel. So he tells Timothy, teach what accords with sound doctrine, meaning here's the lifestyle that should flow from the right things that you believe. Okay? We see the error in the way the lifestyle is for those who don't believe. They're liars, they act on impulse, they're not self-controlled, and they're lazy gluttons. So what's the opposite going to look like of that for the believer? That's what we're looking at tonight. Everybody tracking so far? We're looking at what kind of lifestyle? No, my, my granddaughter shook her head no. <laughs> um, Everybody here, I think, is going to fall into one of these categories. And if we want to really stretch it out, even our kids and grandbaby is going to fall into these categories. Here we find in the page of Scripture a very helpful instruction that we can go to, we can look at, we can bookmark, we can refer to often and say, how should I be living as a young person, older person? How should I be living as a leader in the church? How should I be living as an employee towards my employer and the people that I work with? Well, here we find all of these categories laid out for us. But one thing I want to do before we look at these categories in depth and go through each and every one of them is I want to point out that every single one of you, we, or I should say all of us, we have a tendency towards self-reformation. We have a tendency towards wanting to do things and to fix ourselves, and oftentimes we want to do it apart from the gospel. Now, sometimes those things are helpful for a time, but in the context of the church, we would see that as law, and we would caution against it. Now, there might be some kind of value in something like an AA group or an NA group or something like that for a time, but its only value is going to be is to get you sober. But the problem is, is if you're sober and you still go to hell, then all you did was get yourself cleaned up for a few short years that you're breathing God's breath on his earth. So the goal for the Christian is not just self-reformation. The goal for the Christian is for us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to have that gospel change our heart, change our lives, and change our minds, change our actions. The gospel, you see, is what's going to be that a sexual influencing factor in our lives, not self, right? You're looking to self-reformation, then you're looking towards yourself, and you're only going to get yourself so far and that so far is not right with Jesus, is <laughs> not into the kingdom of God. You cannot become one of the covenant members of God's community simply by self-reformation. The gospel is what does that. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead. So what we're going to look at here, these factors are not means by which you can become a better you. Let me say that again. Everything we're going to look at here is not intended to be a mean by which you can become a better you. This is not, I'm here having some kind of pep talk to get you to become a better version of yourself. What we're doing here and what we're looking at is truths 
Fruit of our lives that should flow out of believing right things about Jesus. Believing the truth about our God and our Savior. Okay? Those truths are going to change the way we live. So first of all, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, I guess I am the qualifier for older men in our church. (laughs) It's an interesting place to be, to be the oldest person here at this time. But it, it, it is where I find myself. So this is one of the few instances where I'm studying this. It really struck me. Oh, I'm here now. (laughs) But that's okay because this is a good list and this is something that I hope my life, I pray that these would be um, exemplary in my life, but also that I could strive for these things in a greater degree. Old men are to first of all be sober-minded. Now that doesn't just mean don't drink or don't be a drunkard. But what it means specifically is to be clear in your thinking. Right? Sober-minded. <clears throat> For sure we don't want to be drunkards. The Bible's crystal clear on that. This is talking in specific instance about the way that we think. You know that drunkenness brings about a, um, what's the right way of saying it? A crassness and ease of thinking that is not particularly careful and astute. <laughs> Very sloppy, very stupid, very silly, making poor decisions. Remember that proverb where it says, who wakes up with black eyes? Who wakes up with a red face? You know, the one who was up all night and saying, I fought a man, but it didn't hurt, you know? Uh, Just making those poor and irrational decisions. But the older men are to be clear thinking. There are to be people who, when you go to them and ask them questions or you listen to them speaking, that it is very clear and thought out. That you can tell this person has wrestled with this before. There is wisdom there that is worth listening to. Dignified. It means worthy of respect. Okay, so dignified might mean, you know, in some communities, somebody who dresses very well and presents themselves very well. And that might be a contributing factor to being dignified. But it's a person who is worthy of respect. Somebody who has been through a lot, a lot of their life, and has remained consistent and faithful with the Lord. That his dignity doesn't come from his own, again, self-reformation. But his dignity comes from the depth of his knowledge and love for Jesus. And that he takes that love that he has for Jesus and lives a life out that becomes more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And as he does that, and he lives that way, he's able to influence other people because they can see within him the Lord doing a work. So this kind of respect comes over a life well-lived and faithfulness to the Lord. One thing I want to point out here next is self-controlled. Notice this, self-controlled older men, older women, not slaves to much wine. Younger women, they should be self-controlled. Verse 5, younger men, self-controlled. Isn't that interesting? 
Self-control appears for every category, for every person on this particular list. There to be people who are self-controlled. But notice how that is in contrast to the way the Cretans live their lives, right? The Cretans are liars and evil beasts without self-control, and they're lazy gluttons. <clears throat> so all of these people, everybody on this list is to live a life that is to be self-controlled. Again, you've heard me say this before, but one of the beautiful things is that self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. So self-control is one of the fruit that comes through a life that is lived in trusting the Holy Spirit to strengthen that person to live and Trusting that the word of God is the right tool, the right guide for us to use in the living of our lives. So what I mean is that the self-controlled person is somebody that reads their Bible and trusts God to give them the strength to do what it says. That's the self-controlled person. You see, it's opposed to the impulsive person who just does whatever whim they feel like in any given time. Just go ahead and live by your feelings. Just, you know what, follow your heart. (laughs) That's not the self-controlled life. The self-controlled life doesn't follow the heart. The self-controlled life follows the Lord and trusts his spirit to lead and to guide us. And it's everybody in this list. So don't anybody think because you're a certain age, older, younger, wherever you feel like you fall into this, that you are outside of the realm of this particular way you should live. No, you should be people who are self-controlled. It behooves us to live like this. Older men are to be sound in, I'm going to categorize these three together, faith, in love, and steadfastness. And the reason why I'm grouping those three together is because Paul does this regularly. Steadfastness is hope. So he's saying here that we should be, as an older man, should be sound in faith and love and in hope. And Paul, we know that he brings these together. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is a great place to go for this. When he's talking about love there, he says, So now faith, hope, and love... And love abide, or and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. In chapter 1 and verse 3, as he's beginning this same epistle here in 1 Corinthians, he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth and those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about our Lord, uh, a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
<clears throat> older men are to live lives that are exemplary to the rest of the people that are around them there within this congregation. So it's interesting that right out of the gate, he says, and this, look, this is an intimidating list for any of us. It's intimidating if we're not trusting in the Lord to do it especially. But it's interesting in how he's giving this and he's instructing Titus, here's how you're to teach these specific groups of men. And I think there's a sense where he's expecting this to already be happening in the lives of some of those people there in Crete. Older women. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. Women are to be reverent in behavior. It just simply means that they follow the scriptures in the way that they live their lives. I'm living a life that exemplifies the reverence that is to be given to the Lord. So, older women are to be living lives where when people look at them, when people talk with them, when people examine their lives, that they see the Lord working in the midst of them there. That they look to them and they see, ah, there is reverent behavior. There is behavior that's befitting the reverence that we ought to give to God. Not slanderers. Now, I'm, as I'm reading this, there, there are some commentaries that I read that are just saying, well, there was probably something specific going on in Crete based upon the commentary that was given, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, that had specifically to do with slandering going on there in the nation and the town. I don't know that for a fact, so I don't want to overstate that particular fact that it seems like some guys have. But I want to point out the fact that the older you get, slander becomes more easy. And I know this because... I feel this same tendency within myself. The reason is because I've had this experience. And I've had these experiences. And there's a tendency, I think, in older people to look and go, well, why don't you act like this? Or why don't I can see it so clearly? How come you don't see it this clearly? And there could be a good use to that. We're going to find that in just a minute. But when it goes in the negative direction and turns into slander, and what that means is, I think, just gossip with a lot more force behind it. <laughs> that they'll go and talk behind people's backs and slander other people and other women or men, maybe apparently in the community, that that's not befitting one who is following the Lord. Or slaves to much wine. Again, self-controlled. We come back to that very same issue and we're going to see it over and over again. That they're to be controlled by the Spirit. Following the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit in the words of Ephesians chapter 5. And then older women have a responsibility in the church. They are to teach what is good. The older men aren't given a specific responsibility within the church, although elders are to be <clears throat> men who exemplify these characteristics within church. I would also add deacons have to qualify in ways that, a that are indicative of a character that is following after the Lord. 
But women here are given the task of teaching the older women, pardon me, the younger women within the church. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to, and we'll stop there for just a second, because I want to continue talking about the older women for a second. Older women are to teach what is good and train the younger woman. This is, first of all, in the context of Titus, in contrast to chapter 1, verse 11, where it says, they, uh, let's start in verse 10, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So the Judaizers have been going around to the churches there in Crete and teaching those things that are opposed to the truth of God's word. They're teaching all the Judaizing heresies that we would find if we were to go through Acts or go through Galatians and that kind of thing. But they're upsetting whole households, you see. So the solution to that that Paul brings up here is that the older women, as they grow in the faith and they're reverent in their lifestyles, they're not slanders, they're self-controlled people, they're in turn to teach what is good to the younger women so that when these, you know, foolish, evil, false teachers come around, that nobody's swayed by it. Not women, not the men, the children are being taught in their households by their families that they are to teach what is good to these young women. So the older women have a responsibility within the church. Now, I know that there are certain faith traditions where the pastor teaches the women's Bible studies and that kind of thing. I know that 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 happens in certain faith traditions, and I am not interested in completely just, you know, saying, well, that's all bad. I think there's a lot of wisdom in doing it this way, though in the way that is instructed right here. I think that it probably isn't why, well, number one, practically we couldn't do that because I have to go to work every day. (laughs) I don't have those opportunities to do that kind of thing. But here we find the older women teaching the younger women and they're to teach the younger women in a way that they can also live a life that's pleasing to the Lord and consistent with the gospel. So let's look at that now. No, number three, the third category of people we're looking at. Young women. They're to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. <clears throat> they're to love their own husbands and children. Now, it, it strikes me that this is something that needs to be taught. But I have not been the best husband all the time. <laughs> so it helps for somebody to, you know, come alongside Andy and say to her, you know, you, you got to keep loving him. He, he, yep, he screwed up. Yep, he's dumb. Yep, he did this thing wrong. Yep, yep keep loving him. Children. Children, you know, we love our children. Children get squirrely from time to time. Children can be a, a point where, where we need special strength from the Holy Spirit <laughs> to keep on. But to be honest, 
one of the things that are, is to be taught is that they're to love their husbands and to love their children. And I really think the contrast is in love to other things. Focus your love upon your husband and your children. Don't go chasing after other things that your heart might desire, that your affections might want to follow. Don't be drawn away by your feelings. Love is really an action. The reason it needs to be taught, and it is taught here, is because it's work that needs to be done. And so what Paul's saying is that older women teach the younger women to focus your attention on loving your husbands and loving your children. Yeah, your feelings might want to go off and do something else. Yeah, you might be inclined in a moment to go off in this, but you know what? A disciplined, self-controlled love is one that's going to focus on loving husbands and loving their children. To be self-controlled, again, we've already talked about that quite a bit. To be pure, it's almost a passing, right? To be pure working at home. I know a lot of attention gets placed on that working at home, especially nowadays. But that word pure is not just a throwaway word. That word pure is not just... You know, he didn't just staple that in there because he's like, uh, what would be spiritual to go along with everything else? I know, pure, pap, and just moving on from there. Purity is something that the world makes fun of the church for pursuing. Let me say this again. Purity is something the world makes fun of the church for pursuing. I listen to a regular podcast, and it's not Christians at all, but it's a history podcast. The reason I listen to it is because it gives me a lot of insight into people who aren't believers, and it helps me understand one of the ways that, that the world thinks, because you know what? I've been removed from the world for a long time. I listen to this podcast. I talk about it with my wife and some other people just, you know, bouncing stuff off. It gives me food for sermons, too, if I'm perfectly honest. But there's one particular episode where they were just doing nothing but making fun of the desire for Christians to be pure. It was good to listen to because I had not had that idea really in the forefront of my mind until this was brought out by these guys making fun of us. I mean, mercilessly making fun of us. But the truth of the matter is purity is vital to the Christian life. Purity is because it is what is separating us from the rest of the world. When Peter says, as he's quoting, Lord, be holy for I am holy. He's telling the believer to live a life of purity. So one of the ways that older women can teach the younger women within the church is to live lives of purity. Now, what does that mean, purity? Well, I'm going to argue that I think it is not a direct one-to-one synonym with holiness, but I think that there's a lot of overlap. And so if you want to discern, well, what does it mean to be pure? You can ask yourself, well, what would be the holy thing to do in this manner, matter? What would be the righteous thing to do in this matter? If I'm looking at what the scripture says, what would be the most pleasing to the Lord? I mean, you love the Lord, right? Are you a Christian? Are you Jesus' follower? I mean, are you just in love with Jesus? I super am. 
I love them. I think about them all the time. And so when I'm reading my Bible, I want to get into it and go, and I see something he wants me to do, even if it's something I'm like, ah, dogs, I got to repent of that one. I still want to do it. Why? Because I want to be pure. I want to be holy. The vision of the Lord, the more I think about him, the more it causes me to be pure in mind, in heart, in soul, in action, and in being. The more I think about myself, man, that's the road to dumbness. (laughs) That's the road to stupidity. That's the road to all kinds of trouble. Thinking about the Lord, being pure, working at home. That's taking care of the kids. Really believe that. That's the most important thing that this applies to in terms of working at home is taking care of the kids. That the kids are being raised and trained in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay? There are working at home is working at home in a way that makes the home godly it makes the home pure and makes the home to be a place where husbands and wives or husbands and children are loved and nurtured and cared for and tended and you know all of those kind of things kind submissive to their own husbands kind kindness again this isn't one of those stapled in there Attributes. In fact, you know what? It's the kindness of the Lord that brings us to repentance. And so it's not like we can't know what kindness is. Kindness is very evident when we look at Christ. And so is a Christ-like character exhibited within the home. If it is, then kindness is going to be a word that is understood to be what is going on in that home. Not a ridiculing kind of home, not a violent kind of home and it's unfortunate that in our day and age and and even in our reformed circles we hear stories of men who have abused abuse that goes on in the home not always by men but sometimes that just is uh, antithetical to kindness and the kindness that should come from someone who's following the lord and submissive to their own husbands. Boy, <laughs> there was a period of time where I did like 800 weddings. Okay, maybe not 800, but I did so many, I don't even know how many I did. And it was when I worked out at the produce place in Durham, <clears throat> and everybody there, because nobody went to church, knew I was the reverend. And so they would come to me and ask me to do their wedding. And I thought it was a great opportunity. I told them right up front, I'm a Christian minister. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to talk about the Lord. We're going to have Christian. I just just want you to know up front. They always still said yes because I was their cheapest option. But when we would come to the vows and writing them out, I can't tell you how many times there was scoffing at the word submissive the word submissive remember one time i was up there and i was reading the vows this is during the service this is after the rehearsal so she knew what i was going to say already at least she should have known what i was going to say already and i said that word submissive and she looked at me with this death stare and daggers that wanted to poke my eyes out (laughs) Because I brought that word up in the vows, and she through gritted teeth said, like that. 
and then kept on with the rest of the vows. It, it, it is submissiveness is one, not popular in our culture, but that's self-evident. But number two, it can be a hard thing to do. I, you know, Andy and I have been married a long, long time now, and I know there's been plenty of times where she has reluctantly, in gritting her teeth, submitted, even though she knew I was wrong and was going to let me find out my own way. And you know what? There have been plenty of times where she has, and I've been right. But all in all, she's been one who has said, all right, dad's dad, we're going to do what dad says. That's not popular. (laughs) That's not going to sell books at the Christian bookstore. (laughs) Or at any bookstore for that matter. But it's what scripture teaches. And this is an interesting thing. That the word of God may not be reviled. Look, people, listen up. Older men, older women, younger women, we haven't got to the younger men yet, but that's okay. It's one thing, and we've already talked about it, self-controlled. We do not want the word of God to be reviled. And it is reviled when we profess the name of Christ, but we don't live in a manner that is consistent with that name. When the world can look at us and go, you're a Christian? (laughs) I remember one time many years ago that I worked when I lived in Wisconsin at an injection mold press factory, right? One of those plastics, you know, we made all kinds of things. And I worked third shift, so it was midnight to 8 a.m. And I was like, Lord, okay, I need you in this because these are all pretty hardcore people. I was a relatively new Christian. I was a new husband. I was a new father. We were living in a state that I was completely unfamiliar with. So all in all, it was a very hard time for me. But I prayed, Lord, I don't want the word of God to be reviled. Now don't say, wait a second, this is about young women, not about young men. Fine, I know. The illustration still applies, hopefully. If it doesn't, sorry, let's talk about it afterwards. But I prayed, Lord, I don't want the word of God to be reviled. And so I tried to, I read my Bible, I talked with people at uh, breaks about the Lord. And then one time this one lady spoke up and said something in favor of me, like supporting something I said. Because I used to get into it all the time and people would like come expecting things and bring arguments and that kind of thing to me. Well, I, I said something and she supported me and the whole room just stopped and looked at her. And one of the guys said, you're a Christian? And I thought in that moment, number two, a couple of things. Number one, Lord, thank you that they're not saying that about me. But number two, Lord, I pray for her to be strengthened and emboldened in this. Because oddly enough, in that moment, the word of God was reviled because they looked at her life and they didn't see it being consistent with the life that is given to us in Scripture that we should live. So we don't want to live lives that would bring revile against the Lord. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. I think there's only one thing here. I think it's humorous because... You know, it's been, if you look in First Peter and you see wives and their list of things and husbands have one, you know, thing there as well. It's just simply we, we need just one point of direction. And self-control, you see, it consists with everything else that's already been said. Okay, verse 7. 
you know what? I am not going to finish. We're going to put a pin in that. We're going to come back to verse 7 next week. I always say, Lord willing, and this is one of those weeks. We are called as believers. So far, we've looked at tonight just our families. Now, one of the things that I hope you noticed here is that we weren't, and I, I don't mean this pejoratively, so don't take it that way, but we weren't focusing on the family, okay? We were focusing on each individual members of the family's relationship with the Lord and how that as people in the context of the church that we should live our lives in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. So whether you're a young man or an old man or a young woman or an old woman, we have clear-cut instruction that as we live our lives gospel-centered, in love with Jesus, saturated with Scripture, that we can live in a manner that's pleasing to Him. We can do it with his strength. We can do it because of his new life that he's given to us. We make no claim that we can do it on our own and we shouldn't. This is not about, again, self-reformation, but about just loving Jesus and loving him so much that his influence comes out in the way I live my life in the context of the church, in the context of the home, and next week, Lord willing, we'll see in the context of our workplaces as well. But Lord, we love you and we thank you for the leading and guiding that you give us in your word because, Lord, we do want to be pure. We do want to live lives that bring you glory. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. And any type of life that we want to live now out from this place that we have of holiness in you, Righteousness in you is only lived on that foundation of you, Lord. And so we pray that you would, through your spirit, give us zeal, give us understanding, and give us the desire. I pray that you would have brought conviction where conviction needs to have been brought tonight, that you would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed, hope and vision where we need that, but all in all, Lord, that we would walk out of here knowing you better and loving you more than we did when we came in, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.